Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. I'm Jeff Schulman. I'm a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center, which is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And every week, uh, Tuesdays at 4 p.m., I'm usually here with my co-host, Red, uh, and we're trying to bring you the best of the best in product management, uh, really give you a sense of community, give you some knowledge uh, that's been developed from some of the best leaders in the business, and uh, really just work together to to get better. And so uh, the red bubble that you see up in the title of this means that we're recording this. So new this uh, week is we are, or new last week. We are putting this out as a podcast, so in case you have to duck out of this conversation, uh, you can catch the recording and hear uh, all that you missed. Uh, But it's so much better to be here live, Um, unless, of course, you're hearing this on recording, then it's just fine being recorded. Um, But anyway, uh, today, since we're missing our normal co-host, we are are joined by somebody who's innovated a multi-channel experience. And so, Sarah, do you mind telling people a little bit about yourself and how they can engage in today's conversation? Yeah, so thanks for you know allowing me to be part of this idea. So I'm Sarah Gallo. I'm a, actually a primary care clinician that recently transitioned into product. And I was hoping to bring a multi-channel experience to this chat. And that is actually joining the Slack channel that we have at the Product Management Center and engaging in conversation since we can't chat here. So If you are not on the Slack channel, you can direct message me on Twitter and I can hook you up with the Slack invite. Otherwise, we hope to see you on the Slack channel to discuss as uh, these lovely panelists get to have their discussion on, on stage. All right. So normally Red is the stage manager and he brings you up on this stage to share your thoughts. And we might have some time to do that, but we have VPs at Mattress Firm, Netflix, and U.S. Bank, and we have a noted sensory expert and accessibility consultant, and we are joined by the amazing product executive who's been just committed to giving you insight after insight. And so we are going to talk about accessibility today, and Sumeya has a superpower of explaining why, whether you've thought about accessibility or not before, why a conversation around accessibility is critical for you to be able to succeed in product management. So Sumeya, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why accessibility, this conversation we're having today, is so important for the success in product management? Thanks, Jeff, and welcome everyone to this conversation. When it comes to accessibility, I think products managers and designers tend to be the best advocates for people who need accessibility. And so being aware and understanding what those needs look like and what capabilities are out in the market that allow for 
breakthroughs and allow for features and capabilities that can be added to support accessibility is one of the things that every product manager is responsible for. So for today's conversation, I think what you want to get out of it is just an awareness and understanding so that you can ask the right questions. Our power to ask the right questions is truly the most important thing we can do. And through that, we can come up with the right solutions for our users, for, for people we want to we want to have as our customers, etc. So just keep an ear open for that, learn, and hopefully that will help you ask the right questions to move forward. Thank you, Samaya. It's great to have you here as always. And I have to acknowledge that we are here and have this audience thanks to Samaya and the hard work she's put in with The Weekend Product. Uh, so be sure to follow the club, The Weekend Product, to hear Samaya and others uh, ask the right questions and share the right knowledge. Speaking of asking the right questions, if you have a question for any of our experts here that we have, try throwing them into the Slack channel. So connect with Sarah and Sarah Gallo on Twitter, and you can uh, ask a question at any point. And she will interrupt us at some point and get us that question asked here. So join the Slack channel and ask your questions there. And speaking of questions, my question is for Keela. Uh, so Keela, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then you're a VP at Netflix. If you could tell us, you know, one share one sort of win in accessibility, maybe a mistake that was avoided or some product that you were able to develop that uh, pushes accessibility with Netflix forward. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, so my name is Keila Robison, and I lead member UI product management. So anything that our members see, whether it's on uh, our mobile devices, web, TV, partner environments, so your Amazon Fire environment and whatnot, that will be things that my product management team works on. So um, in addition to that, I consider myself the acting product manager at the moment for accessibility. It's an area that I am personally passionate about, and although still very much on the learning curve around, and so I'm excited to learn from this group as well today. But yeah, I mean, a couple of things that I think are really relevant, as we, as we look at a, a product like Netflix that is now used by hundreds of millions of people, for me, I have a priority at this point to make sure that our product and service is working really well for everyone, right? Regardless of what device they're on, what language they speak, where, you know, their location and most certainly ability as well. And hence why I think now is the time, probably has been the time for some time for us to really think very seriously about how to improve the accessibility of our service overall. I think we do a, a pretty good job of um, meeting basic accessibility requirements, but there's so much more that we could be doing to really create delightful experiences for people who use assistive technology or otherwise, you know, simply would like to experience Netflix in a slightly different way to make it more comfortable for them. So one of the things I'd love to share is that we have huge usage of our subtitles and closed captions. So north of 40% of sessions, 80% of our members in a given month will use subtitles or closed captions, which I view as one of these things similar to curb cuts, right? Where perhaps the original intended use is certainly acute and important, but we see a lot of people benefiting from that, probably well beyond the initial target audience. 
So lots of examples like that, things that have, we've been working on recently that we found uh, a really important accessibility win is also um, appreciated as broadly good for product design and usability. Thank you, Keila. Great to have you here. And for those just joining us, we're talking about wins in accessibility, but then we're going to transition to challenges in accessibility. And we've got uh, people who are working hard to make products more accessible. And then we have a noted expert that's going to be able to weigh in as well. While we're still talking about wins in accessibility, let me hear from Ambika. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe one story that you're proud of with regard to how U.S. Bank has approached accessibility? Certainly. Well, thank you, Jeff, for inviting me and Sumea. I'm so happy to be on the panel with you and other esteemed panelists. So my name is Ambika and I joined this panel to talk about accessibility. I'm more from the implementation side, so I'm not a subject matter expert, but I, I am responsible for shipping all code that's accessible. And if it's not accessible, it's actually my name is on the paper that we send to our legal department in terms of why it's not accessible and how quickly do I intend to fix the problem. So it's at the highest priority at, uh, at the company that I work at. And uh, my bank, they make it a very top priority. So there's no ifs and buts. And any accessibility bugs, for example, will be P1 or P0 or P1. So in terms of win, a quick win, I would say so. we launched this uh, new enterprise, so uh, enterprise platform last summer. And, uh, you know, because of COVID, banks had to pivot quickly to providing services digitally. And I'm particularly proud that, yes, we built this platform in a matter of six weeks, which was crazy. But we also made sure that on day one, when we shipped the platform or the new code out, it was also accessible. So we have like accessibility consultants embedded into our UX team and our software engineering team, which made sure that not only us who you know, who are able individuals, not only do we make sure that we do the right thing, but they also taught us through the process of like how to make sure that we're using consistent components, etc. So that will be my big win, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Ambika. And we have Sumo. Sumo, tell us a little bit about yourself and a win in accessibility, please. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. And again, really appreciate the opportunities to engage with this board, with this group. Uh, hey, everyone. I'm Sumo, VP of product at Mattis Firm. Are responsible for all consumer engagement points, including e-commerce and store, as well as our lifestyle brand, sleep.com. Really, the, when you think about accessibility, I think it matters from, you know, our mission is really to enable our, our consumers and our, and our shoppers to, to find a better sleep. And I think pretty much everybody in this room can agree that maybe at some point in our lives, if not recently, that we all want to find a better way to sleep. And during that discovery engagement process, if users are not able to uncover a better way for us to, to, to fulfill that mission, that's problematic. Right? We, we find that to be something which, is, which needs to be solved on a priority basis. What I can say is that, you know, we look at accessibility as a user experience issue, not a legal-led item. And I think having that mentality, I feel, is great to have at a broader organization level with the UX teams, along with the product teams, along with the developers. Uh, I've seen a lot of organizations, I'm part of a few different uh, industry groups, and it's, it's really heartwarming to see that accessibility is becoming a developer-led initiative, a product-led initiative, not a legal-led initiative, which probably wasn't the case a few years ago, and in some cases still is, is not the matter. So, you know, some wins that we've really done as a result, if you look at our site, you know, you'll see it's mostly red at the moment, and you won't see any classical green call to actions because red and green are conflicting colors for that are colorblind, for instance. So, you know, as much as the team initially wanted to test a green call to action to to, and 
potentially improve conversion rate, etc. It's a commitment we have to our users that, you know, we're not going to provide a con- an unintuitive experience. We're going to make the font uh, really big. Again, a lot of our shoppers are also an older demographic, but it's also a usability point for us. And, you know, sometimes the content doesn't necessarily look pretty. That's not because that's what we've resigned to. It's really, it's been deliberate. And you know, while we are in the midst of replatforming, we do take it with pride that we are able to support our, sh- our shoppers of all backgrounds, of all use cases and need cases, and really implement inclusive design. Thank you, Sumo. And now we have Dr. Hobie Wedler. And I have a different question for you. You're a noted expert in accessibility and inclusive design and a, a consultant. And I want you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And then my question for you is, is accessibility like a scale is, you know, that we could strive to go from maybe 50 to 60% or is it an absolute? It's either it's discrete. It's either accessible, failed at accessibility or, or it succeeded as we're launching products. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your thoughts on that question. Well, Jeff, first of all, thank you very much for uh, the invitation to the stage today. This is a really dynamic group and uh, a wonderful group to be involved with, for sure. I also owe a quick, wonderful thanks to, huge thanks to Sarah Gallo. I chatted with her uh, last week, and she said, you know, this topic really makes sense for you. And I think she was absolutely right. So, Sarah, thank you very much for the connection to this product management group and, and everybody on this call I'd also like to commend all three companies represented here, Netflix, Mattress Firm, and U.S. Bank for the work that you've done. I've, I've really seen a lot of the great work you've done in, in the marketplace and uh, very commendable. So my name's Hobie Wedler, born totally blind and actually earned a PhD in organic chemistry, only to realize I didn't want to be a chemist for my career. So if you ever uh, end up getting a PhD in something, well, either you're a Gemini like me who can't make decisions or you've, uh, you've gone a little bit too far. <laughs> you, know, you know, thinking of what, of what you want to do. But I love the fact that I was able to get that, to earn that degree, because, you know, once a scientist, always a scientist. And I use my chemistry that I, that I have, you know, that I've learned every day in my current career. And um, right now, so I've transferred after 2016, when I earned the degree, I transferred to a career in, in entrepreneurship. And, you know, I think kind of once we're an entrepreneur, we're always an entrepreneur. It kind of flows in our, in our veins a little bit. And for me, being an entrepreneur is not about money or power at all. I think to many, it's a common misconception that maybe it is. But to me, like if we can pay our bills at the end of the month, we're doing great. That's when we're succeeding. And when we're really succeeding is when we see an honest problem that we can come up with an honest and logical solution for, right? And that's what accessibility is all about in my mind is, is coming up with good logical solutions to problems that maybe we we might struggle to, to come up with a solution for otherwise. And a lot of my work, so I, I have a, a brand called Hobies, which is a, uh, a on the product side, a food and beverage products company whose tagline is to elevate happiness. That's really our goal. And you know, I'm not trying to cure cancer. That's what uh, my fellow PhDs in chemistry are doing. I just try to make Tuesday night a celebration through food and drink. And on the services side, we do a lot of general consulting, some work in the deep in the sensory space of packaging design, product accessibility, food and beverage uh, product development, and a lot of general sensory design consulting. But embedded in that is definitely accessibility and inclusivity consulting and thinking about how can we make products and services much more of, or as available as possible and as accessible as possible to the widest audience. And in my mind, ranges far beyond you know working in terms of making 
products accessible or making websites accessible. Accessibility is making life a little more enjoyable for all of us, for every person here, whether whether there's a disability involved or not, or, or you know, no matter the case, really. Accessibility is just about about enhancing those life experiences and making them that much more enjoyable and that much more doable for as wide of an audience as possible. And to your great question, Jeff, about accessibility, whether it's an absolute or it's a scale, to me, it's definitely a scale. So I would annoy people uh, when I was in graduate school because I would say, wow, you know, using 3D printing, we were able to make a lot of what we do in this lab fully accessible with minimal sighted assistance. And people would say, well, accessibility, you're either accessible or not. What do you mean by fully accessible? And the truth is that in many cases, we can have things that are quite accessible. Could they be better? Always, but I'll give you a good example from the uh, Netflix uh, case study and, and many, many case studies from, from you guys. You know, one of the things I totally appreciate is your use of audio description of video content. And is every audio or is every program that you show audio described? No, but I would say that definitely the ones that you have, it's highly, highly beneficial. And just to give an analogy of, of you know, does accessibility, when we make an accessible practice, are we helping one group or are we helping many, many different people? Well, you might think that, God, we're spending all this money on creating audio described movies for blind folks, for people who are sight impaired watching our programming. But so many people who I know who are sighted, who I've turned on to audio description, use it to watch videos while driving. You know, they watch shows, their regular favorite 30 or 60 minute shows while driving to and from work because it it really makes TV powerful, but it takes it to a level that's almost a podcast, right? And that's a, that's a really powerful thing there. And I do a lot of innovation and ideation. I tend to work best with teams when I'm sort of embedded and, and work on a, on a monthly basis where we can have conversations about everything and really, really think things through as we go and ideate and come up with the best practices and best methodologies for really being inclusive and accessible in the best way possible. All right. Thank you, Hobie. It's great to have you here. I want to turn to my regular, what do we call you, Samea, co-host, confidant, partner in crime. But I want to turn to you, Samea, if you don't mind. And I'm wondering if you could kickstart what we're talking about now with, you know, what are some of the challenges we face as product managers as we're trying to get more accessible? So Samea, if you have any challenges that you face now or can maybe kind of seed some of the challenges that you might have faced in the past to help people understand where the difficulty is. And then we can start to help each other and maybe talk about why that any difficulty might be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I do have a question that might sound obvious, but it is one that I struggle with a little bit. So if any of you have had experience in the B2B space, I'd love to hear from you on how you have thought about accessibility and and pushed for it as something that the team should build for. I'd love to take a stab at that question. It's a great question. A lot of my work is actually B2B, uh, working with companies who provide services to either other businesses or consumers. And I think it's really important to embrace and help them understand the way that maybe we are having this conversation in the way that we think about accessibility so that they can transfer it down the food chain, not only to to the consumer, but to, to others who they serve as businesses. So reminding them of it, talking with them about it, ideating with them, and just thinking about things as we go is super important, I think. And one of the things that is really crucial that we do, 
I also would add diversity into that conversation and say that when we, and, and what we can really easily show B2B, you know, business owners is that by being more diverse and being more accessible, we're really increasing our ability to solve problems because we have a more we have more unique perspectives at the table and more ways of more thought leadership and more ways of, of arriving at a solution. So overall, I really do feel like in B2B, a more diverse and a more accessible approach truly increases bottom line. Excellent. Thank you. Samaya, did that answer your question? I, uh, did you anybody else yes, want to chime in? If no one has any additional uh, insights, I have another question. I can uh, just jump in. I, I have not focused on B2B products, um, although certainly Netflix offers now, uh, you know, we're a full studio. So we're working with lots of different companies in terms of how they work with our products and services. Having said that, though, you know, I can speak to a degree. I'm part of our accessibility employee resource group. And, you know, we certainly have lots of conversations around the importance of accessibility within the workplace. And absolutely, I think that it is a question about inclusion and diversity. I think it's also it's a question of, of equity, right? And be allowing, um, allowing employees to do their best work. So, you know, I think as much as the consumer side of the equation is important, it's a lot of the same techniques and a lot of the same discipline that you have to build into the product development process to be good at it. And so certainly, you know, it's not like you have to be uh, inventing a new wheel here. It'll be a very similar approach and discipline. Thank you, Kiyoma. My next question is around the MVP or the beta. And I've seen this come up, for example, as users, um, there are a lot of features that are needed. I think even for people who don't need accessibility uh, (laughs) features, but I do hear a lot of concerns that features were not included in the early release that would support the needs of, for example, blind or hard of hearing users would love your insights on how to balance those kinds of questions. And maybe we could hear, Ambika, it's been a little bit since we've heard from you. How do you balance those kinds of challenges? Um, well, I think, uh, so I, mean, I was thinking about responding to that. I think it's about like thought leadership at the company. U.S. Bank, for example, has made a commitment that accessibility is not an afterthought. It's embedded into like the agile ways of working. And what I mean is our scrum teams, our design team, they have an accessibility consultant full-time allocated to the scrum team. So when a design component or a concept is even designed, they have to go through the accessibility consultant and have it vetted. Only then it moves on to design reviews and further reviews within the chain. And once it's approved by accessibility and various designers, then only it moves on to development. And within development, it needs to be tested for accessibility by platform. So web versus mobile. And within mobile, we know, you know, iOS has a different testing mechanism for accessibility versus uh, versus Android. I actually think Android has better accessibility tools, in my view. Uh, so it goes through a very thorough accessibility design mindset. So from UX all the way up to software engineering. And if it happens that we are shipping something that isn't accessible, then it's up to the product management to own that. And there is um, our legal department, they have a form and it's quite serious of a form. Um, and the product manager has to sign that and own up by when this will be fixed. So it's actually taken in a very, I don't know how to explain, like, but it's a, it's a very important thing for the bank to make sure that the experiences, especially customer facing, is 100% accessible. 
Sumo, anything to add to how your group does it? Yeah, I would say that, you know, in our group, we have the UX folks, the six, six or so pods, and they're all trained in accessibility. So if a thought and idea comes up and it doesn't pass that, the idea in the ideation phase, it sort of just gets sent back and it needs to be remediated or it just needs to be done in the ideation phase. So I think I'm because, you know, spot on, I think most companies in the aspired state would probably have to have some sort of embedment of accessibility as part of the design process, the user experience process. These are, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've heard so many folks who are not necessarily familiar with the matter talking about accessibility when they mention it. It's almost in the same breath as a, as a compliance item. And I can't stress enough that it's a usability-related item. These are users, these are consumers, these are folks who are here to, you know, as Hobie said, give business, right? So I think we need to be putting them as part of the process, not as a secondary-related item. So as Hobie said, it's not a one and done, right? It's a scale, right? So and because it's a scale, it can be iterated upon as part of MVP. And there's some critical items that need to be going out earlier than others. And accessibility being a part of that process is super important. So I see a lot of companies now striving towards having that as part of the design process. That's how we do it at Mattress Film. And uh, it sounds like it's how it's done at Because team as well. So, yeah. I have a question here that for the panel. And that is, how does the accessibility go into the overall product roadmap and product strategy in your organizations? So let's hear from all the product leaders first, and then we could hear from Dr. Hobie Wedler about how he would recommend it. But anybody want to chime in? Let's just take turns if we could hear from everybody how you bring accessibility into your product roadmap and strategy. I'm happy to jump in here. Yeah, I think luckily we're getting beyond the phase of, you know, sort of ticking the boxes and passing audits. So uh, certainly there are lots of companies that should be doing more of that and making sure that they do more of that. Um, but I, you know, I think like any other area of product development, it should start with customer research and really understanding the needs of various different communities with different abilities and trying to understand where there are opportunities, where there are needs that are not being met right now. So uh, case in point, we recently had a good conversation with audience members that are deaf and who rely, of course, day to day on our subtitles and closed captions. And something that, you know, hasn't really floated up in my personal use, but they were mentioning how, you know, sometimes now on very large screen TVs, it becomes exhausting to be reading left to right quite so far and wide, right? And so wouldn't it be nice if you had the option of making that area more compact? And you can imagine for people who are also watching foreign uh, content that are reading subtitles, that also could be beneficial, right? So again, emphasizing that similar to doing market research, I'd say in other in other countries with um, you know particular segments of your audience, you will oftentimes hear jobs to be done, customer needs that will end up benefiting a lot of different people where that need is particularly well voiced or acute for one part of your audience. Yeah, I'll jump in. Thanks, Gila. So as I was mentioning earlier, it's really important to have accessibility considerations as part of the design process. And at least in Macros Firm, we passed the, the times when it used to be a one-off requirement, and now it's part of every sprint, part of all the product pods. And you know that's really where it thrives because it's part of the process. It's, it gets prioritized accordingly. It gets, and, it's, and at the end of the day, like, as I mentioned earlier, these are users, these are consumers, these are subscribers in some cases to various products, to various transactions. And, and that it's important to have the consideration built up front versus doing it retroactively because that ends up 
hurting the brand. It ends up hurting and turning away customers. And there's a, as, as Hobie was saying earlier, there's a genuine business need for this. So having it as part of the design process is, is so crucial. I can't emphasize that more. Agree. Um, and I can go, I think when you're talking about product roadmap, you also have to understand who the product managers are, right? You, product managers need to understand the customer point of view. And uh, I am in, for example, in the banking business, I'm part of the consumer side of the business. And when you log into online banking, either on your mobile app or the web app, you need to, like, if you don't have access to your funds, it causes you anxiety, whether you are able or you're not. So starting with that empathetic point of view will help you as a fintech product manager to make sure that whenever you design anything, um, it should have an accessibility. Accessibility should not be an afterthought. It should be part of the thinking process. So at my bank, what we have done is the leadership team has asked all members of a scrum team to do different types of training for accessibility. So if you are a software engineer, you will be required to know how to even test for accessibility. So then when you're building it, you know how to build for accessibility. And same thing with the design team. And then for the product managers, they, sh they also need to have a basic understanding of testing in Android versus iOS, screen reader versus voiceover, and then for the web application as well. And when you start, when you understand, like, for example, how voiceover even works, you will start as a product manager, you'll start to put yourself in the other person's shoes to understand what could be the obstacles that they might navigate. Again, um, I'm in the money business. So if people don't have access to money, it causes anxiety and we as a company, do not want to put customers in that position. So we build it from the onset with an accessibility mindset. You know, what I would add to this conversation, I think that was a, a brilliant question, by the way. One thing that I would add, especially from the product side of things, you know, we often think about is the product itself accessible. One of the things that I consider as a sensory design expert and consultant is, is the packaging accessible? Is the experience from basically shopping cart, either in person or on Amazon, to usage of the product accessible to the widest audience. And we really, you know, when thinking about accessibility, we need to not only ask people with disabilities, but we really need to ask everybody, you know, is this product, how usable is this, and really get consumer feedback. And the one thing I'll say, just to add to this a little bit, is that for me personally, I've found that, that when companies work with someone external, someone like myself who's external, who's not living and breathing everything that that company is doing on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, when it's more of a monthly engagement and we talk about everything and ideate as it goes, but you have an outsider who's, who's considering it just as a, as a, as a very part-time consultant, it tends to work very well for you know, really deep design thinking and problem solving and, and doing things in the most diverse, inclusive, and accessible way possible. All right. Thank you, Hobie. We're going to turn back to Sarah, who is operating this first ever multi-channel experience where we have questions coming in on the product management center Slack channel. And Sarah could tell you how to get on that Slack channel and ask a question from it. So Sarah, the, the floor is yours. Yeah. So another question from the group is, what are the different types of accessibility that must be considered when building features? All right. So the different kinds of accessibility, Sumeya, were you going to chime in there? Yeah, I'm going to just start with something that I've seen over the past three years, at least, in multiple teams. So we have what we call proto-personas that we can start with or um, look at as we think uh, or ideate 
with new features or new products. And some of those proto-personas include either, uh, you know, a person who's blind, a person who is not able to type, a person who is deaf, etc. And so there is, for example, we have a set of proto-personas that include 15 different profiles that we can bring in to different ideation scenarios and, you know, workshops and then find people who actually fit within those personas or, you know, find people who can help us define and refine those personas further. So as a starting point, I think that's something I I always give to uh, new product managers on the team to help them think through some of the possibilities and the limitations. And then beyond that, you know, it's what we learn as we talk to people actual people, because we, you know, we focus a lot on user-centered design who are experiencing those challenges or who have those limitations. I just know that, you know, there is a good deal of research out there and certainly a number of strong consultancies and so forth to help educate folks in terms of what are the big categories that we need to think about in terms of, and I come from a you know, a perspective as as many of us do from a technology product design perspective. But yeah, the big ones that we're looking for in terms of people who are likely to need accessible technology are going to be visual, blind or um, sight impaired, uh, dexterity, hearing, cognitive, and a little less relevant for our product, but certainly relevant for some of speech as well, right? And so, you know, in terms of block and tackling, I would say some advice would be you know, try out your service with a keyboard. Try out your service while upping the font size on your mobile device. You know, make sure that you have a service that is that works well with screen readers, right? Like those are some of the, the basic foundations that make sure that you're you're gonna have the widest addressable audience. But again, beyond that, I think that there are many things that we can and should be doing to make our experiences more delightful overall that go beyond that. But I I think in terms of like, if you're getting started, if you want to understand um, some of the basics, even just some of those initial explorations of how your product behaves right now is a great place to start. Yeah. Really good feedback here. Yeah. I think, you know, thinking just about the different, not keeping a closed mind at all and thinking about the most external solutions to things. So I'll give you a good example. So many people are trying to reinvent when they come out with new apps. These startups are are reinventing, you know, an app that does the same thing as all the rest of them do. They, you can send videos, you can send audio, you can send text, you can send all these different types of messages. But really, at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. And there are a lot of companies that have worked very hard to make those apps accessible. It's important to start with a foundation of an application that's accessible. And yet, in terms of designing an accessible website, if you have the code to hire a developer to do all that work, that's amazing and that's great and I highly recommend it. There are automated accessibility checkers on the market. The one that I most prefer is a company called Accessibility. And if anyone wants to know more about them, just DM me or, or whatever, because they are you know, a, a service that it's a nominal, very nominal yearly rate. There are definitely limitations and the principals at Accessibility are very aware of them. One is it doesn't provide captions for videos yet. It auto-generates alt text for images, but it, to me, it's a lot better than not having anything. And uh, that's what I, I recommend to a lot of my clients and, and think, it's a, think it's a good software to use in general. And then just, just asking people, you know, hey, you know, check this out. If someone, if someone in your family or a friend knows how to use voiceover, 
on the iPhone, can you check this app for me and see if it's accessible? Can you beta test stuff like this? And just, again, just having those open and honest conversations is really the best way to do it. And I'm sorry, because I feel like all the answers that we've given are, are not very formulaic. And that's unfortunately or fortunately, one of the things with accessibility that, that is so important to consider is that there's no right or wrong answer. It's a, it's a scale and there's no good formula to make it work or not work. Yeah. And Hobie, just to piggyback off your point, really, it also comes down to knowing like what devices are our users engaging with us on. Like, is it desktop mobile or is it a tablet device in store? Like, that's for for instance, like we have a entirely different product division that that looks at in store product, and it's a very different set of considerations for those users that come into our store that engage with our sleep experts or our sales associates. And for that use case, it's a very different set of items that we have to sort of build into our in store tablets which could be different from something which is accessible from a standard desktop or a mobile device. So I think really knowing the devices that people are using is really important. Absolutely. No, couldn't agree more. Just uh, one thing that I want to add uh, to give the audience something to look at is there's something called this Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, widely known as WCAG. There are some foundational principles that have been laid out on how to ensure that your web experience or your mobile experiences are accessible. So what some of the basic ones I would say are like making sure that you have consistent components in your UI design. And what I mean is like your components should have the same functionality throughout one journey. And generally, in my experience, we do that by maintaining like a pattern library or a design system to make sure, let's say, a button is or we're always using like a radio buttons for indicators like yes or no and not check boxes. So you want to make sure that you have a same component throughout the experience. Another could be that like keeping consistent navigation. It's helpful for users with cognitive limitations or low vision to it becomes easier for them to predict what will come next. So there are some basic guidelines that are provided in that web content accessibility guidelines that I will uh, encourage the audience to check out as well. And checking them out, Ambika, if you could post them to the accessibility channel in the Product Management Center Slack group, that would be excellent, uh, where we could then keep those resources going forward. And then speaking of the Product Management Center Slack group, Sarah, you've got some questions on there as you pioneered a multi-channel experience. Uh, Take it away. Yeah, so thank you all for sending me the questions. And so the next question is, what are common challenges you face when building accessible products and how do you overcome them? And if we could start, Sumeya always likes being put on the spot and thinking quickly on her feet. But since I know you might have to go sooner than everybody else, if we could start with you, if you don't mind. I think that question I asked initially around the MVP is really the hardest question for me. Because with MVP, we're trying to validate ideas and trying to you know, come out with the leanest thing that we can validate. But then beyond that... The prioritization of what we add and, you know, the continuous validation of assumptions and reduction of risk can mean sometimes that thinking about populations that are maybe a minority relative to the markets we're going after, you know, means we're going to take, it's going to take us a while to be accessible. And so I do agree that a lot of the accessibility principles make for great design. I do think, though, especially if you're not working with a mature product, that some of those hard questions come up often for us product managers. And I myself always worry that I have not answered the question the right way. And that's that's a tension that I feel keenly in, you know, the early 
two years of building out a product. Thank you, Samaya. Anybody else want to chime in with the biggest challenges that you face and either how you overcome them or just leave them for somebody else to say how they overcome them? I was going to say anticipating users' needs, doing really good. I think Kilo was mentioning earlier, having high quality and frequent user testing and feedback is really important. Our UX team does that, and that's an integral part of why we're able to anticipate some needs. But most companies may not necessarily be doing that. And and without doing that, I think it's, it makes a strong, compelling case that if we understand a subset in our user tests that we need to be solving for, thinking about specific needs as they get anticipated, that's key because a lot of product management is about iteration, coming up with an item or a point of engagement which makes experience delightful, right? It makes it more enjoyable, not just transactional. But the ecosystem's evolving, right? There's always a new operating system. There's new payment methods, right? There's various items that come up and will continue to come up and evolve the landscape. Having frequent user research into that is a good way to anticipate some of those needs because unless we're really thinking about and empathizing as much as we want, it's not going to be possible because you know, there are folks who are living and breathing this. And in order to really fully encapsulate that, you know, we have to really seek their guidance on how we can make experiences more relevant, more delightful, more accessible and usable for them. You know, I, I think that those remarks are, are totally, totally on point. And I'm literally just adding here, I think the most important two things to make sure that we're creating the most accessible and inclusive experience is to diversify the team, have multiple perspectives there to solve the problem. You've heard me say that in slightly different flavors before in this call. And the, the second principle is to bring in people who aren't outsiders to think about, okay, what is happening here? What is going right and what is going wrong? Because sometimes what I've seen is teams you know, even if it's a big team of a lot of people, if they're working on the same problem, there are things that get passed up easily by all of them that are very low-hanging fruit just because they're all so intimately involved with the project. Amika, were you going to chime in? Yeah, I was just going to say, for me, it was, you know, having that privilege of being an able person, not knowing what the problems were. So I would, again, suggest if you're on Android or iOS, like if you're on iOS, turn on voiceover, even when you're like, let's say, ordering your DoorDash dinner tonight. Uh, if you're on Android, you know, the Android app, they also have this Braille, Android Braille, which I have found very useful. So just using the tools that you have on your devices uh, would actually help you understand more of like what accessibility is and then how to look for those components or how to have the conversation with your developers or your UX designers in terms of have we considered scenario A, B, or C. And then what others have echoed is using usability testing. You can do usability testing on your design just with, for a specific cohort, let's say uh, it could be screen readers and making sure that screen readers have understood your prototype as intended. So those were some of the ways that I have been able to personally navigate through the challenges. But yeah, it's been mostly just like not knowing what accessibility was. So just it was more of educating myself. I'd love to jump, jump in here and just offer a couple of things. First off, by and large, I'd say that 90 plus percent scenario is good accessibility is good usability and good design, right? But every once in a while, they do come into conflict. And so one of the ones that we know is problematic and we have options for, but we know is problematic is when you launch Netflix, we will automatically start playing trailers when you hover over a title for a while. 
Now, there's a group of people who are very annoyed by this. So setting that group aside, there are a group of people for whom this is a real accessibility problem because it interferes with screen readers and instruction, as well as it could be jarring for people who have certain neurological neurodivergent conditions, right? So in that scenario, we're conflicted with it's better for the vast majority of people, but it is definitely far worse for some. So what is our policy and approach to it? And in that regard, what we can at minimum do and we, what we have done is allow people to opt out. We can also do work to try to, as best as we can, to detect and observe when there's likely to be those types of conflicts and therefore proactively disable on our side as well. But there are definitely those situations. The other area that I would say in general with respect to innovation in this space that's tricky is um, it's very difficult to do A-B testing, honestly. And this is an area I am a huge fan of A-B testing. We do it all the time at Netflix. And I'm shocked by how often I'm wrong when we have a hypothesis of something that will be better and it ends up not being better. And so as much as you know, customer research should be able to help on this front, sometimes it can be very tricky as well. So this is an area where I would, you know, my best advice here is also keep looking for those signals in social media, listening to your audience around what is and is not working and making sure that you're paying specific attention to communities who tend to be underrepresented so that they don't get lost in what otherwise might appear to be very positive results from um, an innovation that you're doing. Those points are super strong, really resonate. Like I think the, the other thing you want to do is make sure like folks know their usage, like where are what devices are folks using, their feedback form on the site that we can instrument of some sort, any kind of pointers of what's happening. Like furthermore, can there be any testing done, right? This is really to your point, like if, if we can have testing specifically for accessible audiences, and you know, that's an entirely untapped audience. And you know, most teams may not necessarily be thinking about that, oriented around that. But you know, those are real valuable opportunities to be understanding. And I want to add that. So those points are great, Keila. Thank you. All right. I wanted to get one more question. Sarah, do you want to give one last question for the uh, panelists here? Yeah. This question is actually more around how the teams around the product manager, so how can customer success and support teams support the product team in driving accessibility features and roadmapping up the priority list as appropriate And if anyone has any particular examples of best practices on how to create synergy that advances accessibility. It's a free-for-all. Sumeya, you want to take this with your concluding thoughts? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, I think for me, the question of accessibility features, prioritization, and execution is actually driven a lot of times by the designer. So, well, prioritization is definitely a PM thing, but the conversations around the user stories and the research we're doing, because we have a balanced team approach, the engineers are part of the user interviews, the, the PM, the designer, we're all together listening to the users talk about their challenges. And so when we're talking about solution or solution ideation, uh, we're coming from that point of view. You know, we have that empathy for the user. We're thinking about how to solve it for them. And so the question of prioritization, the question of uh, execution on accessibility features is one uh, that, you know, is treated in the same vein as other features. It's just a question of 
When can we get to it? And I, I don't see, well, this is actually a, a point of view I wanted to share earlier. When it comes to accessibility, yes, over the past decade or five years, I think there has been a lot of learning and a lot of education around it. But if we make sure that we're talking to customers who represent all these different groups, and this is where inclusion becomes really important, not just diversity. Diversity is one thing, but inclusion is actually what leads us to having diversity. If we include all these customers in these conversations, in the research, in the validation, in the testing, then the execution follows. So to me, when thinking through this, I'm looking forward to a time when accessibility is not this standalone thing that we have to learn about and teach, but it's just an integrated part of understanding your customer and your user as part of UX research or as part of building better features, etc. And so my answer is coming from that place of I expect all of us within the team to have that empathy and that care for our customer, no matter what they are, and then executing to deliver delightful experiences for them. Everybody give Sumeya a follow real quick. I'll turn to Hobie in just a second, but I do want to say to Samea's point, that is what the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington is trying to do. It's a community for everybody, but based here with the rigor of the university. And we are trying to say, hey, inclusion is not somebody else's responsibility. It is the product manager's responsibility. We're building products uh, that could change lives all over the world. And we have to think from the very beginning uh, about inclusion. And I think we all have a lot to go in that realm. But uh, having these kinds of conversations is helping us get there. And it's really important to the Product Management Center to define product management and to define inclusion as inherent to the discipline. Hobie, sorry to cut you off there. Uh, go right ahead. No problem at all, Jeff. And, uh, you know, I, I think that this conversation is, is extremely important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to briefly answer the question and then just share a few final thoughts with the group. You know, I, I think that the more that we can utilize the design thinking process, the age-old design thinking process in thinking about accessibility, the better off we're going to be in the decisions that we make and the conclusions that we come to. So really having everybody listen to the user and then having everybody contribute to the overall product leaves less stones unturned. And on the point of inclusion, I really do dream of a day that was recently mentioned where, you know, inclusion and accessibility are one in the same and accessibility isn't singled out as helping people with disabilities but it really is looped right in with inclusion because in the broader sense of accessibility, we really do mean inclusivity and inclusion. I commend the work being done at the University of Washington. I think it's absolutely incredible. Can't wait to be more in touch and more involved as, as you guys build and grow. Want to let people know that please feel free to DM me on Instagram. I'll get right in touch uh, either over email or LinkedIn and really look forward to whenever possible, whenever we can, coming together and, and striking some collaborations because I love the, the direction this, this room is going. I think there's, there's a lot of synergy here and anything I can help out with, I'd, I'd love to, uh, to be involved with and help with. So thank you very much for the invitation. Jeff, thank you, Sarah, for introducing me to Jeff. This is, uh, this is really phenomenal. I appreciate you all. All right. Thank you for being here and, and give Hobie a follow, everybody, if you want to hear some of his insights on this topic. And then we're over time, but uh, Ambika, Kila, and Sumo, do you have time for concluding thoughts? Yeah. Sure. 
How do we make sure that this is prioritized? A little hack here, um, and, and this is, by the way, true of pretty much any uh, really acute customer problem, is to make sure that your team has direct exposure to it, right? And so, you know, as we were talking about, it is ultimately about empathy, but the more specific that you can get and the more close that you can get, so directly watch a usability study live, not just the highlights of it, but actually come there and, you know, talk with customers and see how they're um, responding. Talk with customers who benefit from accessible technology. So um, one of our developers on iOS, he was talking with a kid who's blind and was was describing how important it was to him to have the audio described content on Netflix so that he could be watching and listening to the same movies and TV shows as his friends at school and how excited he was to have you know equal access with that and be able to be part of the conversation. Those are the types of customer stories that just really kind of cut you to the core and say like, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to be great at it. So um, just the closer that you can get to individuals, not, not necessarily the big data presentations and so forth, but actually talking to people who benefit from this, I think is, is the biggest motivator. Yeah, echoing Gila's sentiments here, you know, really ask customers, ask sales associates, ask developers, ask, and also bring the conversation to the forefront, ask your product peers, you know, within the company, outside the company, ask what are, what are they doing? You might learn something new from folks who have already solved for specific use cases, and they might be doing something which is insightful, right? So I think really bringing the conversation to a forefront for our conversations is really important because that really makes it more embedded as part of the, the agile process, not, uh, not a standalone work stream. And if you, know, if you have any questions, you know, uh, feel free to reach out, direct message me on Instagram or certainly LinkedIn. We'd love to keep the conversation going with all of you. Thank you, Sumo. And again, people give Gila and Sumo a follow if you want to hear some excellent product management insights. Uh, Amika, go ahead. Sure. I'm just reiterating what um, the other two panelists said. And my last parting words are, in order to be a good product manager, I, in my view, I think you need to be obsessed about the customer, all types of customers, all sorts of persona, but also take extreme ownership in what is it that you're delivering, what is it that you're bringing to the market. And part of that is, as Kila was saying, learn about your customers, put yourselves in their shoes. And again, use voiceover tonight if you are on your iPhone with whatever app you're using and go through the experience holistically of like, what is it like to use these assistive technologies? And um, the more you learn, the more questions you'll ask and the better ideas you'll come up with in terms of how to build inclusive products. When we're all as you know inclusive as a society, we'll be better off. So that's, those are just my parting words. Thank you for the opportunity, Jeff, to join this conversation today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being a part of it. And then Sarah, can you tell people a little bit about how they could continue this conversation? We're not just limited to questions on the Product Management Center Slack channel. So tell people how they can continue the conversation from here. Yeah, so um, thank you all for participating in this uh, pilot and Wild idea that uh, I was uh, suggesting to Jeff. I appreciate your involvement. You can still DM me at any point to request to join the Product Management Center on Slack. There is a ton of great information on there, but there's also notes from today's discussion. You can continue to ask questions. We have plenty of people who are 
interested in this as well. So you're not alone, but definitely DM me and we'll get you on our Slack channel where you can continue to connect with your peers that are also interested in this and also be able to access the the information that was discussed on today's panel. I think that's great, Sarah. Thank you for piloting it and filling in for Red. Red is my co-host and we're here every week Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time, always discussing different topics within how to succeed in product management. Red couldn't be here. He's normally the stage manager that brings more engagement where we bring people up on stage to ask questions and to jam. And thanks to Red, that's how I met Hila Sumantro and Ambika uh, because we've brought them on stage. So I'd love for everybody here in this audience to join that Product Management Center Slack channel so we can stay in touch and keep sharing information. But reach out to me if you want to be a part of this global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. We're always looking for people to come on our show to mentor our students or our alumni or to just uh, share insights with each other, however we could help uh, enable that. Uh, It's all about community. It's all about knowledge. And it's about impact. Uh, The impact we want to have is to develop a more diverse, a more inclusive and a more skilled product management community. And to do that, I need everybody's help here. So please reach out to me and connect with the Product Management Center if you want to give back and share in that impact, or if you want to learn because people love giving back because you know so many people had to learn product management on the job and they're eager to pass on what they learned with all of you who are trying to figure it out for the first time. So thank you all for being here. Thank you again to our fantastic moderators here. Please give them a follow. And then join us next week for another episode of How to Succeed in Product Management.